Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. It's August 22nd, 2018. I'm Charlie Sykes. Um, boy, what a big day. Joined from uh, his uh, his home in Spain is the editor-in-chief of the Weekly Standard, Stephen Hayes. And uh, Andrew Egger joins us from Washington, D.C. Gentlemen, yesterday uh, felt like perhaps the most consequential day so far in the Trump presidency. That's the way Chuck Todd described it. Do you agree with that, Stephen? Yeah, I do. I don't think that that there's really much of an argument there. I mean, anytime if you if you stop and pause and think about the what this means and who this was, the president's campaign chairman, um, someone he entrusted with not only campaign strategy but strategy through the the convention, um, who he brought on and by all accounts put immediately into his inner circle, despite what what uh, Donald Trump has said subsequently. Um, convicted on eight different counts uh, of financial crimes. And then you have the president's longtime consigliere, his fixer, his lawyer, um, make this this plea, in effect, fingering the president uh, for being part of this scheme to pay off these women with whom the president allegedly had these affairs in the, the weeks before the presidential election for the purposes of affecting the outcome of the presidential election. It doesn't get much more serious than that. And you've got the president's defenders, I think, took about 18 hours, approaching 24 hours, trying to come up with some um, rationalization, some spin, something that they could say. And they seem to be settling on the fact that because there was no collusion, none of this is uh, no collusion shown with Russia. None of this is a big deal. I just think that doesn't wash. I mean, this is this is a big deal. It's a big deal all on its own. Yeah, I want to get to collusion in in a, in a moment, but but in effect, um, some some observers are are describing this as naming Donald Trump as a an unindicted co-conspirator, basically saying this was a criminal act. We have now convicted, charged, and convicted uh, Michael Cohen for committing this uh, this criminal act, which he did at the behest of Donald Trump. And if, if if this was any other person other than the president of the United States, if we were, for example, talking about Hillary Clinton ordering something similar to this and she had lost the election and she was a private citizen, it seems very difficult to imagine the prosecutors would just charge the aide who executed the order with a felony and not also charging Hillary Clinton or any other private citizen with doing that. And so that really raises the question, if this was a criminal act for Michael Cohen, why was it not a criminal act for Donald Trump? So even before you get to collusion, this seems like a a a, a certainly a significant milestone in the Trump presidency. I think that's right. And, and look, I mean, you have to remember the context in which this all took place. If you go back to October of 2016 and you, you remember that the Access Hollywood tape had emerged and you had some Republicans leaving Donald Trump saying they couldn't possibly support him anymore. You had others, uh, you know, Paul Ryan telling House Republicans, do what your conscience tells you to do. There was this sense that that this 
what started as a trickle would soon become a flood, and it could really affect the campaign. I mean, there was talk of uh, pulling the RNC money from the Trump campaign and redirecting it towards Senate and House races. All of these things were being discussed at precisely the time that this threat to have these uh, affairs go public uh, was out there, and or at least was was privately being uh, discussed with with Michael Cohen. So the payoffs turn out to be a pretty big deal because if these things had gone public, uh, I think it could have had an effect on the, the outcome of the campaign. And the reason I think we saw the payoffs in the way that we did was precisely to keep that from going in, to keep from building on the uh, negative momentum that had accumulated uh, because of the release of the Access Hollywood tape and in the days afterwards. Yeah, and ironically, though, in, in in retrospect, had this these stories come out, it probably would not have affected. They, of course, did not know that at the time, but considering what Republican voters decided to do after that Access Hollywood video. So I, so I disagree with you there, actually, okay. Charles. I disagree with you. I, I think it really could have ha- had an effect. I think you would have seen, if, if on the heels of the Access Hollywood thing, you you had, you know, Republican elected officials, some of whom said, "Look, I just can't abide this anymore. I can't be a part of this anymore." As I said, you had Paul Ryan say what he said. Hmm. You had other people issue condemnations, but nobody then really did anything. I think if you saw in those days, right after this. Um, Additional stories about what the president had been up to about uh, coming out about the Italian porn stars and, and playmates. I think it could have, could well have pushed people who stood by him to walk away. And I think it may well have affected the, the, the money that uh, was going from the RNC and from other places to the Trump campaign. And, and, you know, then you have a different, you have, I think, a di- potentially a different, a different outcome. If you've got, if this really did turn into a, a flood, if it was just too much, mm-hmm. It's hard to remember, but I mean, in those days, that was the sense, was this was too much. I remember being on Fox with some diehard Trump supporters who, who at the time were saying, hey, I can't, I can't defend this. I can't. Mm. Yeah, if I could, if I could just add one thing to that, yeah. Charlie, I think that um, the, the reason why you know you, you you hear people now saying, well, if this had come out, then uh, it probably wouldn't have made made much of a difference, is because that's sort of the way that you know Trump supporters uh, approached that story when it did break. You know, just this just this past year. Um, but but I think what, what what you've sort of seen there is it, it it's sort of like you know the, the the frog in the pot that where where you you know you gradually boil the water um, and and it can as long as it's gradual, as long as it's like incremental change to to you know uh, carrying water for more and more uh, you know indefensible acts on the part of the president um, as, as long as it's incremental there's there's really no end to the to the places some of the some of the president's boosters will go um, and I think that you know by the time that you know this stormy Daniels stuff uh, broke people had already gotten so dug in so entrenched with you know any number of things I mean like you can just think of you know, Charlottesville maybe being one uh, big step along that way where it's just you know at that point you're you're pretty much ready to carry water for the president for anything whereas if this story had broken just like like Steve was just saying if this story had broken right at that moment when things were were really starting to reel for Trump in a way that they hadn't been before uh, you might have seen something very different occur uh, yeah it, that's certainly possible okay let's go to this question Andrew I want to ask you this because one of the the, the big pushback of course is uh, no collusion no ties to Russia does not advance or at least the argument is this does not advance the, uh, the the special prosecutor's case that there was collusion with with Russia what's your take on that 
I mean, does it matter? I mean, like, yeah, yes. This is this is unrelated, largely to to, to Mueller's initial mandate. I don't, I don't even believe Mueller's involved at this point with the with the ongoing prosecution of of but he Cohen. Was, Manafort, okay, so so maybe I misunderstood your question. Are we still talking about Cohen, or are we talking about Manafort now? You know, considering that that they took place within two minutes, today, <laughs> I mean, it was, like, it was like no one would have written the script as dramatically as it turned out. To right, be. right. Maybe we become numbed by this, but within two minutes, you have the personal lawyer, um, you know, pleading to eight, uh, eight, eight eight felony counts, and then you have the former campaign manager convicted of eight felony counts at right, the same right. time. Right, right. Yeah. So, well, so as, as far as Cohen's concerned, a little bit, yeah. right, right. As, far, as far as Manafort's concerned, I'll say yes. I mean, like that, th- th- these charges are unrelated to uh, what he did on the campaign. You know, that doesn't that doesn't speak very highly of Trump that he hired this guy who, you know, was, was a, a sort of political heavyweight goon for a long time, you know, in the first place. But obviously, we already knew that Trump was surrounding himself with people like this. Um, so I, I, I don't think that the Manafort verdict reflects, uh, you know, as directly and as powerfully on Trump in the present moment as the Cohen one does. I think that's the one the president's worried about. Um, obviously, that's the one where where the, the guy in question has really broken against him, is really now gunning for him, because I think we've seen Michael Cohen make this political calculation uh, that really the only the only recourse he has now that he's burned this bridge with Trump is to try to like reinvent himself as this like resistance figure, basically just sort of like a poor man's Michael Avenetti, right? Um, he's, he's, he's got this GoFundMe that he just started this morning where he's basically just saying, you know, Michael Cohen's trying to tell the truth about Donald Trump to the American people. And I don't know who's who's buying that. I mean, I think Michael Cohen sort of burned all of his resistance bridges long ago by being Trump's fixer for the longest time. Um, but but it, it, it does matter that, you know, this guy with this much direct access to the president is is really gunning for him now. And so, you know, whether or not it has to do with Russia, it doesn't I mean... It, it, yeah. Russian I'm, Russian I'm things are not the, the only between between Michael Cohen and Omarosa. I mean, right, right, right. We're beyond any any absurd uh, script that you could possibly write about all of this. But this is, of course, what you get. And you know, when you get when you surround yourself with, you know, with grifters and misfits like this. But the fact that they're all turning on one another is dramatic. I guess I want to push back a little bit on the Russia thing because obviously, and and you know, the the the, the Mueller investigation is has been compared to a noose and people need to remember that nooses really don't do their damage until the last couple of seconds of of their use um and manafort is really at the heart of the the russia question i mean he was in trump tower um you know he's the head of the uh, the campaign at a time when if there was you know what you know at a, at a time when when the concerns over you know russian involvement um you know, were, were, were peaking he had you know high level connections to uh, russian actors high level connections to the president so this clearly, um, you know, moves the ball in the sense that mm-hmm. if you really want to get to the heart of what happened, you have to squeeze Paul Manafort. And he has now been royally, royally squeezed. And of course, now you have Michael Cohen's attorney, Lanny Davis, uh, suggesting, and who knows whether this is credible or not, that Cohen has has information about the encryption, uh, you know, I mean, about the uh, about the hacking of the of the uh, of the DNC emails, all of that stuff, but you know, I guess you know part of it is just the the, the question of. And I guess let's just might as well jump to this right now, Stephen. What happens now? You know, we don't know where the Mueller investigation is going. My sense is that yesterday was a very bad day, but there are more uh, bad days ahead, probably worse days ahead. What are Republicans going to do? How are they going to react? Will this be different than anything else we've seen? 
It's a great question. Let me first answer that in two different ways as it relates to what Donald Trump is doing. One, in some, in a positive step that the president has taken. By positive, I mean affirmative step, not necessarily positive in terms of its value. And then something he hasn't done, which I think is in some ways equally revealing. The first relates to Paul Manafort. And, and the step that the president took this morning was to tweet out um, mm. kind words about Paul Manafort. Brave soul. He didn't break with the pressure from the feds, everything feels to to me and certainly no doubt many others who know a lot more about how this stuff works than I do, like the president is prepping a pardon or at least trying to signal that a pardon is is there for the taking. So if the Mueller team and others try to squeeze Paul Manafort further, the president seems to have already made his next move by saying, uh, Paul, I gotcha. I got, don't give in. I gotcha. You didn't break wow. yet. You know, you, you won't break now. So that's the first thing I think the president did. By, this by the way, that tweet, if, 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 if I was still at my radio show, I'd be playing the theme music to the Godfather in the background. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have a guy who is a convicted felon convicted of defrauding the government. He's be, he's praised by the president of the United States who does seem to be, you know, and praised for not cooperating with prosecutors, <laughs> not, not, not actually cooperating. And then, of course, there's the hint, hey, if you keep your mouth shut, if you don't snitch, we could take care of you. Yep. As this, this, is, this, is, this is happening. Adam White, a frequent Weekly Standard contributor, pointed out, uh, you know, the president swears an, swears an oath to faithfully execute the, the laws of the country. Um, and here he is praising somebody who's who's uh, defying uh, federal prosecutors. It's pretty, pretty remarkable. The, the second thing um, that I think has been revealing, and this relates to the, the Cohen plea deal, is that Donald Trump has not yet denied his involvement. He has not de denied the facts that have been set forth by the prosecutors in the Cohen plea deal um, since the plea deal was made public uh, Tuesday afternoon. So the president's denied the affairs previously, um, said he didn't really know anything about these payments, what have you. But now we know exactly what was in the plea deal. And Michael Cohen has said that these things happened. They happened in this manner. The president directed me to do this, and it was for the purposes of affecting the outcome of the election. If you're an innocent man, if you're Donald Trump and you didn't do this, is it possible that you go and give a long, rambling speech and don't ever mention the fact that you're innocent of these things you're being accused of? Or if, if you go on a, a, a tweet rage the following morning, wouldn't it occur to you at some point to take a moment to just declare your innocence, to just say, oh, none of this actually happened. All of this is, is false. The president didn't do any of that. I think it suggests that you know, probably something that most of us long suspected anyway, that he did, in fact, do these things. I've been talking to, to a couple of people who are sort of involved in, in Trump world, and, and one of the real questions that they had over the last few hours as this news emerged was whether the president would in effect, cop to this stuff and say, yeah, okay, well, this stuff happened, but it's not a crime. And by the way, there's no collusion. Or would he continue to pretend that none of this stuff ever happened? That Michael Cohen may have done this, but he was freelancing. And why was he even doing this? Because I didn't have these affairs. And Stormy Daniels was a liar. And Karen McDougal never did this. And I don't have any association with the National Enquirer. That's a pretty risky road for the president to go down, given what it seems the federal government has collected on this. It, they're not reaching a plea deal with Michael Cohen because they're taking Michael Cohen's word for it here. They mm -hmm. have 
other evidence that supports the case that Michael Cohen is making. They believe that that broad case is true. It would be risky, I think, for the president to challenge them, but I don't know sort of what else he does at this point. Well, and one of the interesting okay. things that he's yeah. he's already done, I mean, he, he, he had, like you say, he has not actually like come out and said, like, this happened and, and it was, you know, it, it was no big deal, but he has already sort of started to lay the groundwork in case he eventually wants to say that. I mean, he tweeted, uh, that, tweeted this morning about how Barack Obama's campaign was fined for, you know, for campaign finance violations back in the day. Obviously, the, the implicit subtext of that is, you know, Barack Obama served out his term. Um, and, Everybody you know, does it. Right, right. Right, exactly. So he's not, he, you know, he has not uh, professed that this never happened and he hasn't copped to it either. But, you know, whichever way he ends up going, he's already trying to sort of like soften the blow to sort of like roll away from that punch. OK, so we have midterm elections coming up. Uh, what, what sense are you getting from Republicans? Uh, what they're saying pr- publicly, which sounds uh, very, very muted. Privately, do you get the sense that people are thinking that that this, in fact, you know, might be a you know a, a sign of unraveling? Is is there panic? Is is there outrage? Is there any difference in the reaction today than say a week ago? The support for Trump. What what are you hearing? You know, it's it's early, um, and and given the events of the past two years, you're always wise to bet that this is not actually any different than any of the things that has happened before and that Republicans and certainly the Republican base will stand by the president. Republican elected officials already seem to be kind of feeling their way towards a kind of rationalization. I think I saw John Cornyn quoted last night pointing out that there was no collusion. You had Matt Schlapp, uh, chairman of the American Conservative Union, saying, boy, isn't it odd that with all of this breaking news, there's no mention of any collusion with Russia. And that seems to be where the the, the pro-Trump spin is, is settling at this point, that because there's no collusion with Russia in the, the things that were revealed yesterday, there's really no problem. And let's just sort of proceed as if nothing happened. It's it's hard to see how that's sustainable. And, and one of the things I think that is perhaps underappreciated at this moment is just how this has roiled Trump's inner circle. And you think about the people who were with the president back in October of, of 2016, or the people who, who were involved or knew about um, the payments or knew about the affairs. Um, what's happened now with Michael Cohen flipping suggests that they really are in an uh, every man for himself, every woman for himself. And moment. the Don McGahn story over the weekend. The Don McGahn story, which yeah. now seems like old news. Uh, the, the Omarosa stuff. I mean, if, if part of what ha- had allowed them to survive these kinds of allegations and these kinds of stories about corruption and payoffs and what have you, for as long as they did was the fact that they more or less held together. Um, you're seeing the kind of fracturing that you see before there are additional details that are provided either to prosecutors or to the, to the media. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see those kinds of reports coming out. Having said all of that, I, I don't necessarily see that you're going to see a pack of Republicans who suddenly say, you know, this is it. I'm done with them. Yeah. Willing to abide Charlottesville and all of the other things, but this is the thing that that really gets me. I think you're likely to see Republicans, elected officials, people running for re-election in in November say, "Yeah, the voters knew about this already. They didn't really care." Plus, we got two Supreme Court justices, tax cuts, some deregulation. 
it's all good. We love. Yeah, it. I think that's that. That's a fair bet. Uh, you know, Andrew, I want to continue this though because you know the Republican Party, the Republicans in the general conservative movement, has, has basically decided made made a, a fundamental decision that character does not matter. You know that that never mind what we said back in the 1990s. That Donald Trump's character was something to be set aside as long as we got all the things that Stephen just 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 mentioned. You know, including you know Kavanaugh and all of the other things. The stock market is 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 high. Um, and so, so therefore, you know, up until now, that has been the consensus that we will ignore the personal behavior, we'll ignore the lies, we'll ignore the grifting, the conflicts of interest. Now, of course, the price tag is rising. I tend to agree with Stephen that I don't expect to see much until the election. But you do get I'm, I am getting the sense, though, that, that unless the Democrats blow it, which, of course, they are completely capable of doing that this overall theme of corruption and sleaze is going to become a major cloud over this election. And I remember back in 2006, remember you had a couple of random, you had a couple of random Republicans who behaved badly, but now you have this long list. It's the cumulative effect. Duncan Hunter is now, um, has now been in, indicted a congressman from California, big Trump supporter. Um, he, he's still on the ballot. He's obviously vulnerable. But you do kind of wonder, do Republicans really want to surrender the corruption sleaze issue to the Democrats? Because I don't think that that's a, a, a winning strategy. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think if, if Republican lawmakers were, were, were going to, you know, find any hill to die on in terms of character. I just, I just, I'm not sure it would be this one, you know, no, no Republican lawmaker is waking up this morning and, you know, clapping their hand to their forehead. And, you know, this Donald Trump, I really don't, I, he, he's kind of a, he's kind of a squirrely, you know, uh, unvirtuous man. So I, I don't, I don't know how much that's, that's going to affect that. Um, what, if I could slightly change the, 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 the direction to, to one other thing that we haven't mentioned yet. One, one interesting thing that's coming out of all of this, uh, if you, you, you know, you, you mentioned the Supreme court stuff earlier, that's one of the things that um, that's one of the things that you know his his supporters really coalesce around. They're like you know we're getting these justices, and that's in the end of the day all that matters. Um, one interesting development that we've seen since yesterday is is a like renewed push from Democrats um, to say that you know this further invalidates the fact that Trump won the election at all, uh, and and therefore he should not get a hearing to, uh, to 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 appoint or to nominate Brett. I remember the word I know confirm to confirm yeah. Brett Kavanaugh to the to the Supreme Court. And I think that that is going to carry a lot of weight with uh, with Democrats this fall. Um, you know, there are already uh, questions of whether some red state Democrats were going to end up, you know, flipping over and, and voting for Kavanaugh, like some of them voted for Gorsuch uh, last year. I mean, I think that 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 is going to be a, a really concrete issue uh, that that's going to you know be be changed by this, and and that will definitely have impact in the midterms. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm skeptical about the impact on Supreme Court. However, um, you know, if there is this cloud of obstruction of justice and criminal behavior on the part of the president. But I, I don't take the whether he's a legitimate president uh, seriously as an issue. But the conflicts of interest, the obstruction of justice, the various other things, you know, um, whether that could play into the confirmation process. And I, I did see some speculation about that from some folks at NBC News this morning that this might complicate that hearing process. But I cannot imagine uh, that Mitch McConnell is going to do anything other than uh, push this uh, this through uh, aggressively, no matter what's going on on the uh, on the Trump front. Uh, Stephen Hayes. 
No, I agree with that. I mean, certainly if it's up to Mitch McConnell, he has been sort of singularly focused on judicial nominations and, and pushing them through this being uh, one of the two big prizes. It won't deter Mitch McConnell at all, what the Democrats say. I do think, you know, with, with, with the margins as tight as they are, it wouldn't, if you have a, a, a senator or two who decides to, to change his or her mind, you, you, things get hairy awfully quickly. I think it's a stretch of an argument. Um, I, I think Democrats are likely to make it because it's really one of the only arguments they have. Um, but I, I'd be surprised if it if it had um, any kind of a, effect, if it changed the trajectory of the Kavanaugh nomination, which seems to be pretty safe. I do think the Democrats will make a lot of hay with this broad corruption argument against Republicans. I mean, it is the case that, you know, not just Duncan Hunter and, and the, the details of that indictment are incredible and appalling. Um, there's They're more, not survivable politically, I don't think. They, they may not be, but it wouldn't surprise me if he still won. We've got a piece up at the Weekly Standard from our David Byler, who looked at the district, safe Republican district, and said, even if the guy's having as much trouble as he's having. It's not inconceivable that he could could win there, and I trust Byler's instincts and his his uh, analysis on that. Um, maybe that's wrong. I mean, maybe there is maybe there is a bottom. Maybe there are lines that that one can't cross. Um, but you have Duncan Hunter. You have those revelations. He was an early endorser of President Trump. You have Chris Collins in New York State. He was an early endorser of President Trump. You now have. Uh, two of the, the the people closest to the president during his campaign and in his past life, uh, now likely headed, almost certainly headed to to prison. Uh, there's a pretty good case for Democrats to make. This is not a stretch. You know, this isn't no. one of those times where Democrats pluck some obscure congressman nobody's ever heard of and tries to build a case that Republicans are corrupt because some congressman took a payoff or something. That is what this looks like, honestly. And it you know, feels like it too, yeah. yeah well, especially and, because it was such a powerful line in 2016 to drain the swamp. You right. know, and as you've been pointing out, Stephen, it, it is the swamp just swampier. And, right. You know, it, it's it is the one thing that people said, yes, go to Washington to clean things up. And the cumulative effect of all of this is just to remind people that that not only has the swamp not been drained, it's been restocked with lizard people. Yeah, and I I think the the effect could be obviously I think it could have an effect on independent voters as Democrats make this case and broaden their case and and uh, presumably they will be smart enough to make this the big theme for the next two months and and everybody will be singing from the same song sheet you know it, it's not going to budge the hardest of hardcore right. Trump supporters I think it could have an effect on independents but the the place I would look for for potential problems if you're a Republican running for re-election is does it depress this sort of marginal Republican voter who's not a hardcore Trump supporter but more or less likes what the president has accomplished on a policy level but is just done just sick of this I think there's an exhaustion factor so. that 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 is a play here I think it's been a play here for a while um and I think that's maybe the, the place where it makes Republicans most vulnerable is just people who just say, I've done. I, I want to talk about uh, something that uh, Newt Gingrich wrote uh, this morning about the midterm elections and, and this issue uh, in in just a moment. I'll get your, your take on all of that. But the Daily Standard podcast today is brought to you by, by ExpressVPN. Look, with all the recent news about online security breaches, doesn't this seem timely? It's hard not to worry about where your data goes making an online purchase or simply accessing your email 
could and does put your private information at risk. You are being tracked online by social media sites, marketing companies, and your mobile or internet provider. Not only can they record your browsing history, but they often sell it to other corporations who want to profit from your information. Well, that's why I decided to take back my privacy by using ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN has a very easy-to-use app that runs seamlessly in the background of my computer, my phone, and my tablet, and I have it on all of those devices. Turning on ExpressVPN protection only takes one click. It secures and anonymizes your internet browsing by encrypting your data and hiding your public IP address. Protecting yourself with ExpressVPN costs less than $7 a month. It's rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar and comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you ever use public Wi-Fi and you want to keep hackers and spies from seeing your data, ExpressVPN is the solution. And if you don't want to hand over your online history to your internet provider or data resellers, ExpressVPN is the answer. So here's the deal. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash standard. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S VPN.com slash standard for three months free with a one-month package. I mean, I'm sorry, a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com slash standard to learn more. Okay, so earlier this morning... Apparently, um, former Speaker of the House Newt Gingrich sent an email to uh, one of the reporters at Axios um, to make sure that uh, that he understands that there are two different uh, news universes in the world. Uh, he said, we are living in two alternative political universes. In one, Manafort Cohen is dispositive. In the other, illegal immigrants killing Molly Tibbetts is dispositive. And then he says, if Molly Tibbetts is a household name by October, Democrats will be in deep trouble. If we can be blocked by Manafort Cohen, etc., then GOP could lose House badly. Your thoughts? Which is sort of a grotesque politicization of, of uh, this tragic death of this young woman from Iowa. I mean, I, I, I suppose if, you're, if, if your world is politics and, and if all you do is think day in and day out about who's up and who's down and how you win and, and how you lose and how, how you press your advantage against the other team, this would be the first thing that, that would occur to you or it would be something that, that you think you could offer as a, as a, a, a cold... Uh, analysis. I, I would I would hope that we would let the family of Molly Tibbetts grieve in peace. Um, th- there are real issues there. There are issues that at some point can be engaged, um, discussed, debated. They already have been. Uh, this has certainly been something the president has pushed hard on: uh, criminal, illegal aliens. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I would. I certainly wouldn't want to send an email like that, that making that uh-huh. kind. Of you know, and anytime politicians make for a household name so that you can win an election. Yeah, that that intersection of personal tragedy involving real human beings and the need to politically exploit it is always depressing. Even Elizabeth Warren. I mean, I thought Elizabeth Warren sounded just incredibly awkward. Um, you know, trying to say what the family needs to focus on. But again, maybe it's just naive to think that everything is not fodder. That that, that no matter how bad a tragedy is, it is simply fodder. So, you know, I didn't I didn't prep you guys on all of this, but Andrew, you know, you've been following um, all of these cases, you know, very, very closely. I was trying to sort of just figure out in my mind what the greatest threat to the Trump presidency is right now. Is it is it Michael Cohen? 
Is it Paul Manafort? Is it Don McGahn? Is it something else that we don't know about? There are so many threads of this negotiate this uh, this investigation going on. What do you think ultimately poses the greatest existential political threat to to Trump? Oh man. Um, okay. Let me let me try to answer that in a couple of different ways. The the first thing is that you know if it were true, um, which it may be true, uh, that uh, Donald Trump during the 2016 campaign was party to uh, some behavior or activity that that was tantamount to collusion with Russian efforts to sort of hack the DNC and the Clinton campaign and, and steal her, Hillary's emails and other emails uh, and try to influence the election. If that is true that that happened, um, then certainly uh, Paul Manafort would 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 be the you know the the weak link uh, that you know the the egg to crack to, to to really get to the bottom of that. Now. That may not be the case, and you, you you can you can make the argument that the fact that Manafort you know did not take some kind of plea deal uh, didn't you know, didn't end up cooperating with prosecutors. Uh, th- there's a case to be made that that sort of signals that perhaps you know there was no smoking gun for him to hand over, um, or you know he maybe wouldn't be spending the rest of his life in prison. Uh, but you could also make the case that you know he just you know is not the kind of I've, I've I've talked to former prosecutors who who you know from the beginning just basically said I don't see Manafort cracking. I don't think he's that kind of guy to sort of turn states evidence. Um, I think he's going to, you know, fight this thing any way he can. And I think that, you know, li- like we said, Mueller, Mueller has the squeeze on him, but Mueller's had the squeeze on him forever. Uh, Mueller's had the squeeze on him for, you know, six months to a year uh, where, where all the facts of this were known. The fact that his long-term business partner was cooperating with the investigation was known, where basically Manafort's goose seemed cooked and he hasn't cracked yet. So so if, if, if I'm uh, Donald Trump, I, I think that I, I, I am, I'm, I'm resting a little easier when it comes to Paul Manafort these days. Um, I think that, you know, like we said before, he's floated the pardon. I think if if pardons ever go out at this point, certainly Manafort's on the table. Donald Trump's definitely sort of internalized the notion that Manafort is just one of these casualties of this big, uh, you know, uh, totally political, totally you know, uh, full of liars and cheaters witch hunt. Um, so uh, now at the same time, uh, the the Cohen stuff, obviously the a potential payoff to, to Stormy Daniels prior to the election, not. Of not not an offense of the same degree as you know a p- potential actual collusion with a foreign power uh, to you know hack into your opponent's but, campaigns. But implicated in a felony. Yes, no, 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 and, and I don't I don't mean to, to to minimize it. I'm just saying you know like clearly it's on somewhat of a, of a lower level. But I do think that that is the more immediate threat. I think that that's the um, you know obviously potentially legal uh, jeopardy. We don't know uh, whether or not uh, it would be possible for Trump to be you know subpoenaed and. Uh, all of those things would would go all the way up to the the Supreme Court if if Mueller or other prosecutors would would decide to push that, um, and and we may very well see that happen. So I think that that's the venue where we're going to see the more immediate uh, potential crisis. Um, you know the the other things. Uh, you know, and, and again, we don't know what we don't know about what Mueller does or does not have, um, what Trump did or did not do, and, and when it comes to all of the Russia things, you know, uh, opinions vary on that. Um, but but. It, it's it's hard now after the Cohen stuff yesterday to envision a scenario where that part does not uh, become a lot worse before it gets better. Yeah, Stephen, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I guess I I think you know he, the the big question is what happens in the midterm elections in November. If Democrats take control of the House of Representatives, I think almost certainly they will move to impeach quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard at this point, given what we know publicly, um, to see. Democrats in the Senate getting enough support to actually impeach and then remove the president, the step that the Senate would take. Um, 
I, th- I think we've, we've got a, a new piece that, that we just posted at weekstandard.com from Jack Goldsmith, who walks through a number of the, the things that he thinks uh, President Trump might do. And he lays out several, uh, I would say, harrowing possibilities, um, including the president deciding to, to run rampant with pardons, pardon everybody who's involved in any of this who's even been mentioned, starts firing the, the people at the Justice Department that he's disappointed with, people on the Mueller investigation, ending the Mueller investigation, yanking security clearances from investigators and others that could slow this process down. There's a fair amount that the president could do, Jack argues, um, that could really start to to be a more sustained assault on our institution. Hmm. You don't know that. Jack's walking through some possibilities, um, but they don't seem None of which are inconceivable. No, they don't seem terribly far-fetched at this moment. Hmm. Jack's an awfully thoughtful and and sober sober guy, so he's not not one prone to hysteria. Um, it's It's a piece that's well worth everybody's time. And I think the scenarios that he lays out could, uh, in its own way, as Donald Trump sort of clings to hang on to his presidency, if it gets to that point, would be the kind of things that paradoxically could cause him to to, to lose it, to be in more trouble. I, I think you're absolutely right there. I, I agree with Andrew's analysis uh, as, as well. But I think it's it's the president's own conduct that uh, that is still the, you know, the biggest, biggest wild card here, including, you know, how far he's he's capable of going. You know, the the tweets this morning were breathtaking in and of themselves, but but nothing compared to what's coming. I mean, there are these two ginormous stories that are out there. Um, you know, uh, either the, the Mueller report will come down, which uh, which may focus on collusion or may focus on obstruction of justice or may talk about money laundering. We just don't know. Um, perhaps even worse for the Trump presidency, though, is is if he pulls the trigger and, and decimates the Department of Justice and fires Mueller. And uh, again, that that's an element of uh, of absolute unpredictability. But I do think that the president is right about one thing as well, that one of his biggest points of vulnerability, given the fact that he personally is unlikely to be indicted, is his members of his family. And he's expressed this in a number of different ways that he's very, very concerned about what if Mueller comes after Don Jr. And that's one of those just when you thought it could not be any more radioactive. Oh, my God. Imagine that. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I think one... (laughs) And and also the reaction that would trigger. Yeah, well, and one one other thing um, that j- just just following up on on what what Steve was just saying about the the Goldsmith piece, I think that one thing that um, that is potentially going to constrain uh, Trump's behavior, even even beyond what what you were just saying, is um, he has to ask, you know, whether whether his support among congressional republicans is is completely ironclad right because we we have seen that like they're they're going to go to bat for him for almost anything um you know when, when it comes to these things they're they're willing to brush almost anything off as long as he gives them sort of plausible deniability to do so uh, but some of those like more direct moves that 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 Steve was just talking about to really sort of like decimate the the justice department those would be the kind of things that it would be it would be really hard for you know c- even congressional republicans to shill for and to and to brush off as as no 
big deal. Um, and and that matters, you know, if it comes to an, an impeachment proceedings, things like that. He needs to keep his Republican side, you know, ironclad in his in his defense. Um, and so I I I wonder whether you know that's going to play a a role in his calculation of you know just how brazenly he can fight this thing. I think that's an excellent point, which once again comes back to what are the Republicans going to do? And you would certainly hope that Republicans would send signals either privately or publicly or both to the president uh, saying that there are still some guardrails. Don't go past these. We're not going to enable you. We're not going to uh, look the other way if you do that. That actually might uh, deter him from from the most extreme and self-destructive behavior. Gentlemen, thanks so much for uh, joining me. I really, really appreciate this. And uh, thank you for listening to the Daily Standard Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back tomorrow and we'll do this all over again.